0: Michael, how are you today? Very well, Luke. Yourself? Uh, mate, good, thanks. Really good. Looking forward to the end of the year. Yeah,
1: well, it is fast approaching, yeah. and good to see that there's a few venues opening in Sydney that we can get excited about.
0: That's a very nice segue. Uh, do you want to share with uh, our listeners a bit of uh, backstory about who we're interviewing today? Yeah, so we've got Deshaun,
1: who is a founder of Employees Only, uh, which is, I think, one of the strongest. Bar brands and globally, I think the only one I can think that potentially stacks up against that might be Milk and Honey as a yeah. global bar brand. So, uh, and they're just about to um, open in Sydney, which mm-hmm. is uh, um, exciting. That we've got something to talk about. I think, yeah.
0: if you mean, yeah, yeah. So. Um, I guess it's a brand that I became familiar with many, many years ago. The interesting thing is that it's been, you know, I guess a global identity for a really long time, and that's in a market that is traditionally fairly transient, and um, and you know you, you don't see that many stalwarts on the bar scene. But uh, interested to hear, you know, his side of the story and, and and the origins of the of the brand itself and how they made their way out to Australia should be a good, a good chat. Looking forward to it. Nice.
1: Welcome, to Sean to the Back of the House podcast. I'm here, Michael Rodriguez, with our, my co-host, Luke Butler. Hi. And we're sitting in the Sky Suites in a new penthouse apartment on a Sydney sunny day. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And you're here because uh, you're famed bar employees only, which I guess kicked off in New York first, but has other outposts in famous cities around the world as... About to open, I think, officially this weekend. Uh, yeah. Tomorrow. Tomorrow? Yes. And so what better than to just while away a few hours, like, not worrying about it?
2: Yeah, know, this, is a nice, <laughs> this is a nice refuge. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, <laughs> you are, I've noticed we've caught up for an hour or so before
2: and you're very relaxed for a man who's about to open up the bar. Yeah, I've done this before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's Actually, this is really quite um, the most opening, the smoothest opening I've, I've ever had in my career. Uh, somehow all the elements came together, people who are involved are very professional. Um, the team is excellent. Um, my partner Robert, who has been my first apprentice back in the day in 2004, mm. um, he is, um, has done a stellar job. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going really well, so we're very excited.
1: It's, um, so for some of our listeners, I mean, a lot of them would know employees only, but, uh, so 2004, I think, Yes. New York yes, and, um, and then I've been to Singapore, mm-hmm. uh, Hong Kong. I've not Hong visited Kong, yet yes. but, and, and now Sydney, I think, and and LA as well. And Los
2: Angeles. Yeah. yeah. Miami just closed sadly because of uh, changing ownership of the hotel where they were. So
1: yeah. 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 And when, when did the second Employees Only open? Can you recall?
2: Yeah, was it? it was two and a half years ago, almost, in Singapore. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. Singapore was the first. Mm. And then Miami, then Hong Kong. And then we opened uh, Los Angeles in April this year, and now here, Sydney.
0: So that was a fairly... So first New York, 2004.
2: Yeah, and then we waited two- for a long time. Yeah, a
0: long time. What, what brought that on?
2: Um... I mean, we had to work to make the place successful for us. <laughs> you know, we did it the old-fashioned way. You know, it was a time where, before Instagram and Facebook was just based at that time, just a marginal kind of, um, I want to say, presence in people's life. Mm. And we did not come from that star bartender kind of star chef mentality. We, 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 all of us were bartenders, the co-founders and we um, we just knew that the only way to really build a business is you know person by person you know making sure that everybody leaves with a little bit of a bigger smile on their face than they had when they came in and you remember their name if you can you remember at least what they drink and you welcome them next time they come in and you know the old school way, mm. you know, old school way, making other people look cool, cooler than you, although you are cooler yeah. than them <laughs> I mean not now now I'm not, like now I'm old, right no, but 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 ben, back then in, in 2004, I thought I was cool yeah. and but I, I, I was taught by by my partners and by my mentors in the industry that it's not about you. it's always about your guests. that's what we do and um, yeah so we did it like so it took a while Mm. we won the best bar in the world award in 2011 you're right although we did the same style of cocktails same style of service already like we we were the first speakeasy in New York after Milk and Honey I mean Milk and Honey you had to really know it was super small we were you know we were the first real kind of neo speakeasy with a proper psychic entrance and, a, and, a, and a, you know like uh, a real employee you know that worked uh, read the tarot cards so it looked like a business and then you walk to the curtains and said employees on and you're in right yeah so so we were the first of these neo speakeasies right and 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 we didn't do it because of anything else but because we wanted to bring back the idea of american bartending and the lineage that it represents right so uh, yeah
1: where does the name come from I, yeah, I tried to research this but I couldn't find it so
2: industry employees only right we, we 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 always wanted to mostly cater to our brothers and sisters in the industry because we knew that if we can make them feel good and relaxed after a long shift mm. and give them a good bite to eat and a good drop to drink then you know it will automatically be attractive to everybody else that was a business model Mm. so we are an industry place
0: yeah yeah there was some well i'm interested you mentioned it's before you know i guess that the business rose to notoriety before social media before yes. um those kind of tools that are used by yes. so many businesses today i mean look, personally i went to employees only in new york i think in about 2007 uh-huh. and i would heard about it from so many different people mm-hmm. which is obviously what drew me there it's interesting to understand or learn from how you actually how that actually took place you know is it right. there any catalysts that you thought helped support that word of mouth like yeah. i think it used I to mean, be very well visited, visited by celebrities and that kind of stuff i mean that helps, yeah we,
2: we do get celebrities but we don't get celebrities because we market to them mm. or we have promoters to bring them in um they just come in because it's i guess a pleasant place to be and mm. it's by now in new york you know 14 years in it's you know, it's become kind of a, rare, a rarity, you know, to be open for that long of a time in a city that changes so dramatically and so quickly, yeah? Yeah. Uh, but we have a really good landlord. We have a really good situation. We were very lucky. We were completely oblivious when we were opening it because, you know, we were five bartenders and we didn't really know much. I mean, one of our partners was a bartender in the beginning, but then is... Uh, Became an operator in a restaurant and, and restaurant tour, Billy, and he was the only one who actually had, who knew how you know what a PNL is, <laughs> you know, like who knew who knew, you know. Is that know.
1: some sort of funny piano?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Power and loudness. <laughs> um, so he would, you know, he was the only one who actually knew how to open a restaurant. We all knew yeah. how to run bars. Don't get me wrong, but we did not know you know, what a payroll is or how to balance it. Or, you know, we had no idea. We were just eager to have something of our own and channel our creativity because people didn't... We felt that the craft cocktail movement was just about to explode. Yeah. And we we were inspired by this, but not in the way as the other bars who opened after us. That, that kind of thing was very and their idea of making cocktails using precise measurements and always insisting on jiggers and taking time to serve the drink and masturbating over the ice cube and all that. That for us was like, we didn't come from that background. For us, it was, for us, it was, you got to pump them out. You, you turn into an octopus, right? And, and you shake and you, and you bring these drinks out and you, and but we, so we wanted to integrate the quality cocktails with a very high volume and yeah. we managed that because we came from that background, right? And and so it, it a lot of things fell into place. We also naively didn't know that we actually opened on repeal day, on the day when Prohibition in the United States was repealed. It was very auspicious, right? Yeah. So December 5th is our yeah. birthday, yeah? Um, so, yeah, stuff like that, you know? Things fell into place.
0: Talk us through how it actually came to be. Like, you were you five maids Did it just... You were out on the booze one night, and thought, you know, someone said, "Let's open a bar," yeah. and then it's like, how had it happened?
2: Yeah, we all we all met uh, the four of us. Henry, who is the oldest, and he's now a lot. <laughs> I, I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, yeah. uh, so Henry um, worked at the upstairs bar in Pravda, and, uh, and we worked all downstairs. We were the young guns, and and you know, like the young young. Bartenders who, who worked a 15 hour shifts. How old were you at this time? I'm like 27, 28. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Henry's much older. And um, he worked the upstairs bar, which was a one man bar. He would come to work at eight and close at four. And, you know, he was like an icon. People would just come and just ask where, where Henry is. And we would point up and, he, they would, you know, because Henry is a man who had a long time of a uh, professional bartending career in, in, in New York. He's originally from New Orleans, and you he know, taught us a great deal about human psychology and the psychology of the bar goers and the guests and, and all of that. So he, we, we got an accelerated course yeah. through him. And then Igor, uh, Jay, and myself, we lived together. Three bartenders, three friends, good mates, as you say really close friends. We had a bachelor pad in Queens, in Astoria, like huge with a, you know, beautiful, huge terrace where we would hold barbecues for people and parties. And we noticed that people loved to come to us. Because we not only could cook well and like make good drinks, but we could create a party and people we would have a line on the block of industry people coming to say hi to us on sundays yeah right. and on those sundays you know after everybody left you know i rolled up a joint and we like sat sitting on that terrace and i'm like wouldn't it be cool if we had a small place that you know because the smoking law the smoking ban was just coming into an effect in new york prohibiting people from smoking and we were really all freaked out we came from a background where we thought, oh my God, if people cannot smoke in bars, nobody's going to come in, Mm -hmm. people are not going to drink. You know, we did not know that actually it was going to be a nice thing, you know, (laughs) it turned out to be, you know. Um, So um, there was a loophole in the law saying that um, if the only employees of the bar or restaurant are the owners and shareholders, then you can allow smoking because the law was all built on the premise that secondhand smoke will uh, hurt, you know, the staff that is not smoking, right? So that's how we, you know, <laughs> really. that's how we say, okay, so let's open a place where only we are going to work. Like let's buy ourselves a job. <laughs> <laughs> so we can smoke and work, and you know, uh, let other people who are going to come because they have nowhere else to go, and let's have a big party. Of course, the reality shifted. They closed while we were like in the middle of creating it. We uh, uh, they closed the I, they, they closed, closed the they clo- <laughs> closed the loophole, and we ended up we ended up going <laughs> then and opening up a proper restaurant bar which we always wanted and the name stuck employees only not just because of employees only are the ones who are working who are the owners but also because we wanted to integrate our as I said our brothers and sisters from yeah from the restaurant industry yeah so that's kind of how it it
0: happened
1: I think a lot of those things that you're talking about, um, in terms of the service style, in my experiences in New York, which I haven't been too many, but I do recall coming in one night, and I must have arrived with about six or seven other people, and Mr. Schneider was serving, I think, and he um, mm. it was incredible because in that moment it's like here's the situation: there's seven people who've arrived at a bar, we didn't none of us knew each other. But the most important thing I felt this is what happened is that we had drinks in our hands almost instantaneously, you know. Yeah, right. And he was introducing people, and so yes. it was like a, as you said, like some sort of octopus Correct. arrangement. And uh, and I was, I think I was travelling by myself, you know. So it's a bit isolating, so even though I've come to see the bar. You're travelling by yourself, you, you know, you're still feeling a little uncomfortable, and um, sort of made to feel at ease. Put sat down next to another person who was travelling by himself, and away we went so sure. it's, un- it's interesting understanding like the ethos and whether that um, idea came from because uh, and, and I'll, I'll come to it why because you're taking and not you talk about why but like that there's I'd say that there is I'm struggling to think about a, a bar with a stronger brand globally. And I'm not saying that to make you feel weird. I'm just saying like, you know, bars are quite unique, mm-hmm. specific things. Yes. And to, to translate it into other environments is yes. a challenge. And oftentimes what happens, uh, rather than take the brand, people create new bars, yeah. a group will end up with five different bars. And, yeah. and, um, and uh, so I'm sitting here wondering what the magic source is like, what yeah. is the secret ingredient to being able to sustain, to sustain that business?
2: Um, Uh, Yeah, you can't think like a businessman, Mm. Uh, you know, that's kind of the the trap, right? You can't think in formulaic ways of how you would uh, grow any other business, because bars and restaurants, in my experience and in experience and and belief of my partners, are mostly about energy. It's the the non-verbal communication, that non-gestural communication that you get pure energetical right mm. that you know it makes you feel at ease mm. right well, like it's it, like you try to you know you can analyze it right you can say oh he did this he did that but what we do is we create with the, with the design with the training of the people mostly with the training of the people yeah uh, we believe that um, professional and human development have to go hand in hand uh, otherwise we, we, we can never really be of service If we don't allow you the space to be whoever you need to be and if we don't function in your life uh, like just yet another rejective force, right? Uh, yet another unpleasant experience, yet another disappointment, then what have we done? We're not really serving you. So, you know, you can't think like a businessman. You have to realize that hospitality and Danny Meyer is, is, is really like spot on. It's an, it's an exchange. Something happens for you, not to you. You know, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a gift uh, and it's a privilege to be of service. And, and I strive very hard to, to teach this and train not only my teams, everywhere I go Uh, because that's the only one thing that you cannot put into the formula Mm -hmm. and that's the only one thing that people cannot really you cannot cognitively really verbalize it. human language is very poor in, in trying to explain and define all the subtleties of the inner life yet it's the inner life that really makes us feel comfortable with ourselves and when we get to that point then everybody else accepts us have you noticed? Yeah. <laughs> right, um, and so I train my staff like that to think that way. Of course, it's not a, a speed course in hospitality. You know, it's it's something that you practice while you have the chance to do it over and over and over again all night long. Eventually, you become good at it. Yeah. You, know? you prolong the time when you're in the zone. Yeah, when you're in the zone, right? You know what I'm talking about when yeah. I say you're in the zone, yeah. right? What happens when you're not in the zone? The person that calls yourself by your name is not in the forefront of the psycho, uh, emotional, and physical complex, right? It's not on the center stage. What's on the center stage is something else. Does the person that calls itself by your name Stop, stop talking to you? No, but well, you don't pay attention to it. You're now focused on task at hand, and you're like a surfer surfing a wave, right? And when, you hear, when you're in the here and now, you're here and now, and people feel that. You know, I go that deep with my staff. I, I make right. every, sure every pre-shift that we remind ourselves that everybody who walks into the restaurant will is has, in fact, a broken heart. So we take the whole subject-object kind of dynamic between humans to a different level. We remember that people who come in are subjects too. Yeah. They have a life, plans, family, somebody, unfortunately, maybe has somebody that's sick or has really a broken heart. And then we can relate. Ah, <gasps> Another human being. And that's where that energy comes from. I think you've just answered the question on where the secret source is. To be honest, I mean, it, I've seen it work. So, employees only is an energy. Employees mm. only is an ethos. It doesn't yeah. have to be designed always in the same way. Yeah. it doesn't have to serve the same drinks. It has to, but it will, it has to have that energy of safety, of of appreciation, of approval. You know, who approves of us? Like, really, who approves of you in your life? You know, who really doesn't want you different? And if you think about it, not many people are lucky to even have one person that really doesn't want anything from them, right? Everybody wants something from us. So I train my bartenders to be, and not only my bartenders, the whole front of the House staff has to be attuned to, your, to the guests. Give them that. Give them that space, you know? No matter. Just, as long as you're not violent, <laughs> as yeah. long as you have money to yeah. pay for your drinks, you will get a really deep, deep and happy experience with us. That's what we do,
0: yeah. That's, um, that's amazing philosophy, amazing approach. I mean, it sounds, it's a mentality around uh, what you're creating as opposed to a product, which I was going to ask you about the complexities of operating a business with such a highly recognized um, brand across mm-hmm. multiple countries. Yeah. And what you've just said, I guess, adds a totally different complexity because you're talking about instilling everything that Correct. you've just spoken about into people who are in totally different demographics to those which you are already familiar with. Yeah, was that a, 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 a scary decision to actually put the first employees only Taking into account everything that you've just said, to then go into another environment and, and, and
2: risk potentially what yeah. you've you built? It is scary on the on that kind of human human level, right? Uh, it's scary, you know, when, when we're, what's scary? The unknown is scary, oh, the failures, you know, the, the fear of failure, the fear of whatever stories, narratives we tell ourselves. But I, I don't think like that anymore. Mm. I have realized that that's a trap for me. And I um, I kind of trust my, my path, if you will, you know? I know that I live my life with as much integrity and as much honor as I can, <laughs> you know, Yeah. as I possibly can, and and I strive for that, um, and I really try to service others uh, in that way by not asking from them what I would wouldn't be able to give myself, you know, you know, uh, um, so um, it's challenging because you have to, by the nature of, of, of business, you have to involve people who try to protect you that's what they say the lawyers and the other partners and they try to protect the brand try to protect the money, the investments by putting agreements but you know, this kind of stuff is see. see, you have to make a choice, you're either going to expand and become a Starbucks McDonald's and something mm-hmm. that's like that that's cookie cutter, mm-hmm. or you're going to do it and then make money yeah. <laughs> or you're going to do it like we did it and not make as much money but have a satisfaction of always not compromising and not ruining what is pure what is intentionally really kind and then you know like, then you end up living a life like the late Lemmy of Motorhead who always did what he wanted to do mm. you know and he did it because he believed it's the right thing yeah and that's how we live and that's what we do in a different industry.
0: Have you found that a challenge, like going to Hong Kong and, and inspiring people in, yeah. into
2: that world? There is there is certainly, there is certainly a cultural yeah. difference between the markets where we operate, uh, not only with our staff, uh, but also, of course, the market itself. Uh, but humans are humans everywhere. Hmm. You know, humans everywhere on the planet, no matter where they are, no matter how much money they have, no matter how poor they are, they have stressful lives. And for everyone, their stress is the most important priority to take care of. It's not pleasant being in the fight or flight mode. Everybody enjoys being in a relaxed frame mm. of mind. Mm. Yeah? Mm. <laughs> so you connect with them there. Because without the staff, any venue, any restaurant, it's just four walls filled with usually very expensive junk. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. You can hire the best designer in the world, the most awarded designer, to create the ambience, to create it. Without the staff and their energy and their enthusiasm to, and their you know, belief that they really can change people's lives, even for five minutes. And what a gift to be able to make somebody's life better for five minutes. Mm. Have them forget about the, the pain in their life, the, the obstacles, the challenges. You know? It's a beautiful privilege. Not everybody has it, and it's not going to be there forever. So we should use, use that. It's a gift, I think. I, like in, At this point in my life, I think of it as a huge gift. And I try to honor it.
1: It's, um, well going to come as a surprise to anyone listening to what you've just said, that you've been awarded for uh, your skills in mentoring, um, which is, I'm sure you didn't set out to achieve that, but I think just even listening to you now, it's quite incredible to hear you explain it in the way you're explaining it. I've got a question for you. So, you, I think, grew up in Belgrade, maybe, and, yeah. and moved to the States uh, when you were about 20 or a bit, bit uh, 20, 26 26. Uh-huh. And, and I'm guessing that uh, is English second language for you? Or, yeah, yeah. 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 Because and, and I think a lot of what you're talking about is non-verbal communication. Like I'm just thinking back to my own private experience coming to employees only. Like there was not like anyone entered into a conversation with the bar guy, right? There's just like so much is spotted in a second and you know, I don't know how he diagnosed what the situation was, but when you, um, and I'm wondering whether because of your, I guess different cultural backgrounds and experiences, Um, you've been attuned in some way to non English communication which um, you know transcends I guess like you know so much we we think communication is just speaking to each other but going between these different markets Singapore Hong Kong now Sydney um,
2: right
1: is there an element of that that you see that
2: um yeah I mean you see like uh, I I had I had quite a fortune to be born into a family that, you know, was quite cosmopolitan to begin with. And uh, um, my father traveled a lot, was a businessman. And, uh, and we lived in Germany, as you know, as a, when I was a kid for four years, I learned German. Right. My sister still actually lives there. And, you know, and so um, then I, we went back to Belgrade and I... Learned English through rock and roll. Actually, I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I wanted to desperately know what people are talking about in the in the lyrics. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was attracted to the music, right? And so, then you worked out
1: that the lyrics and, and, it actually make sense. Uh, <laughs> so,
2: well, yeah, well, you know, depends, right? You listen to Pink Floyd, you're like, okay. And then you listen to, you know. Uh, other people, and you're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but uh, the the point was, you know, if I come from a small place, you know, even Yugoslavia back then, where I was born, only yep. had 20 million people, which for Europe it wasn't that that much. And and if you don't speak other languages, you don't get around. And I desperately wanted to get around, <laughs> <laughs> so you had to learn English, and 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 so. Um, but when I came to, to the States, something happened, you know. I realized that, very young, I was fortunate to, to understand that everything that, that the um, establishment was telling me is going to make me happy is not working. <laughs> you know, I already got all the gadgets and I got all the money that I needed. I traveled to all the Lonely Planet countries and I slept with all the girls that I wanted to sleep with and it wasn't there. <laughs> I got high with all kinds of drugs and it wasn't there either. You know, like cuz the next morning, you know, if you want to feel like that you need another hit and then it's like, "Come on. I mean, you know, mm. that's not it's not there. Where is it?" And it you know, I was fortunate enough to start start uh, studying with people who could point me the way where I can connect the dots, if you will, and really connect the dots why I'm having a career that is f- so fulfilling for me. Uh, and and integrate that understanding of human mm, existence, or you know, for mm. the lack of a better word. So humans communicate always on different levels. We communicate cognitively using our speech. We, communi- we communicate emotionally all the time. <laughs> we communicate intuitively. We communicate on all different levels all the time. And uh, I was in- fascinated by that. You know, as a bartender, you have to because you have to create a safe space, like a shaman. You know when you do, let's say, an ayahuasca ceremony, why is there a shaman? Why can you not take that tea, that medicine, as they call it by yourself, for example? Because there has to be somebody present to protect you energetically from influences of other who knows what that can in, you know be not as beneficial for your journey do you understand what I mean yeah so bartenders are like modern day shamans what we do is we create this mm. energetical kind of you can think of it as a force field yeah <laughs> right that kind of anybody who's inside we intend with this force field for them to have a good time mm. and if there is you know, a disruptive element, either somebody becomes verbally abusive or had one too many becomes rowdy, we recognize it right away, we take yeah. them out. It's interesting. Take them out right away because it, just, like, it disrupts the safe space. Mm. See, I, I believe that public houses are an extension of the, 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 the kind of a manifestation of something that has been written into our DNA, so to say, from very early on. Um, you know, when, when, when human beings start hunting and gathering and, and kind of s- keeping their tribes safe, at the end of the long day of hunting and gathering, they would get together around the fire, right? And, and feel safe. And then and, uh, and there would be usually somebody who would, either the elder or the shaman yeah. or the medicine man who would try to make sense of their experiences. So, you know and and that's what we do i think this is this is what every public house does it creates this tries to create that safe space around the fire where you're safe from predators you're safe from the darkness
1: right
2: mm. <laughs> well, can't help myself bringing it too local but where did the pages be? in <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs>
0: So, Dishan,
1: I just want to chat to you a bit about some of the logistics of opening a bar in Sydney, mm-hmm. uh, because it uh, has a certain reputation these days, and um, in terms of, um, I'm interested in your thoughts about uh, that, but, you know, the practicalities of opening up uh, what you're doing here, mm-hmm. um, in what some would require, um, might describe as a pretty
2: stiff regulatory environment. Like, yes. um how, how have you found it? Like. Hmm. Is yeah, it, yeah it's, uh, we were lucky, you know, we got a 3AM 3 3 license. Um, it, is, it is challenging. Uh, I mean, every market that's regulated, um, you know, in the Western world pretty much has very similar challenges. You know, hmm. we, we still have challenges in New York. We have challenges in Los Angeles. And they're no different in here. Here's a little bit more strict, you know. It's the Anglo-Saxon kind of puritanical culture that kind of enforces that formulaic dealing you know you, you kind of try to deal with <sighs> consequences and not causes you know we you know it's kind of uh, we don't go to the source of the problem we just Go to the effect. And yeah, we, we try to squash squash that down. Make sure it doesn't happen again. Doesn't mean it won't happen in, in some other way in some other mm. manifestation. But that's you know that's our downfall as the Western thought. You know, in our in our philosophies is a little bit screwed in that way. Yeah, but um, but again, everywhere we open, there's locally appropriate challenges as we call them yeah and and they're good they're good challenges to have because uh you look around you see who is who's actually able to maintain um a hospitable environment and a successful business and there are people in sydney who are doing it beautifully like Mikey and you know that at barbershop and and the Duke right beautiful stuff right he's very successful there's other people too of course I mean I always felt that Sydney has the culture the bar culture and the talent where I felt very comfortable I never had a bad drink here you know and I drank everywhere in the world Mm -hmm. you know so um
1: and so was it like on your radar as a city because I think we were talking earlier and mm. there's you've got business partners involved with you mm-hmm. locally who mm-hmm. did you go to them do they come to you how did that come they about? came they came
2: to me yeah yeah they rather want to stay anonymous so I, I don't talk about them much but they 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 came they came to me because they are very established in in uh, in their own ways and they are they understood what you know one of them heard me talking uh, at that training and f- felt that uh, he wanted to invest in, in a place that would have that kind of an energy, right?
1: Yeah, and I <coughs> assume that they'd been to one of your other bars. Like maybe oh Google yeah, and
2: about. you know, so we, we first met uh, I think four years ago when I was here on, uh, on a business trip uh, for the 86 company that I used to work for at that time and uh, we uh, cl- connected right away, clicked and uh, um, it took a while for us to find the right location, to you know, find the right team. It took a while, uh, and but you know, then things happened, and I'm very, very, very happy. I am super excited about this opening. I, I. I by nature, I'm a very enthusiastic person. <laughs> so you know, I'm like a 15 year old, you know, and you know, always excited about new things. And uh, I like to live on the edge. I like to take chances. I, you know, I was even in the army. I was a paratrooper. You know, so so it's like for me, it's a natural way of being. Not knowing what's coming tomorrow yet, you know, anticipating it and trusting it. Being vulnerable in that place is, is very powerful for me. Mm-hmm. I like to live like that. I am not good with boring safe secure kind of stuff it's actually for me is 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 depressing (laughs) you know Uh, which talks I I would guess psychologists would have a field day with with this but uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's how I am and that's what works for me Um, so um, I'm very excited about this I think it's 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 a great opportunity for a brand to uh, be able to showcase and, and, and spread that energy around and 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 be of be of service so
1: we'll get some stats on like what you're uh-huh. offering so it's, we know it's barrack Street um, uh-huh. I attended the train launch I guess or yeah. the first launch the other night uh, Capacity for a hundred
2: and something, like what? Yeah, I think legally we are at hundred twenty, hundred forty, something like that.
1: Yeah, and pretty consistent with the offering in other markets. It's uh, Um, in terms of. So sorry, we talked about like what underpins, I guess, like Mm -hmm. your point of yeah, uh, the secret sauce using that one, but in terms of uh, products, yeah. Yeah.
2: We 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 always were a restaurant. Uh, Yes, we were mostly recognized for our cocktails and our bar, and because that's were kind of the most of the attention was Mm -hmm. but our food was always I believe equally as good as our drinks and our service was always on on that level as well and um, we are very very fortunate we we have a beautiful uh, executive chef uh, uh, Josh Duff who is just uh, excuse me uh, Richard Duff who is uh, just a legend and and he has brought uh, his team in and the food is extraordinary uh, bar team is great uh chris is our bar manager and you know, we have Dula there we have like the really 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 talented people christine We're like people who could be employees only bartenders anywhere in the world as far as the menu we always strive to do a lot of locally appropriate offerings Right? We don't talk much. I prohibit uh, the PR, uh, uh, the PR companies to there's two rules. Don't want to talk about uh, with me. I don't want to talk about seasonal cocktails <laughs> <laughs> or seasonal dishes. That's something that we do regardless and it's not yeah, it's implied. It's mm. old news and it doesn't matter, mean anything actually. Mm. And the other thing I always ask, no email interviews. <laughs> i 'm not going to do a job for the for, for, for the journalists if they want to talk to me, call me and we'll talk. I will always be available so um, so the uh, the menu will have i want to say the food menu will have i want to say six or five of our signature dishes that we have in every other employee's only that's mm-hmm. been with us from the beginning, including our famous steak tartare that's made tableside, and uh, bacon-wrapped lamb chops, and uh, bone marrow poppers, our oysters, and uh, ribeye steak, right? And that's everywhere. But then we, the rest of the menu, is definitely always geared to the local environment, local flavor, local palate. You know, for example, in Hong Kong we have Chinese food. Yeah. You know, in Singapore we have some Malaysian stuff you know in LA we have lots of vegetable (laughs) you know like gluten free you know all that stuff you know I actually had people walk out because they're telling me we don't have gluten free cocktails I'm like what do you mean we don't have gluten free cocktails everything is gluten free behind this bar, you know Like I don't know you know so we do we do try to you know
1: and important um, will the menu, it sounds like a dumb question potentially, but will the menu go all the way through to clothes or food-wise?
2: Yeah, we serve food till last call.
1: Yeah.
2: And the last call, I don't know if you're familiar, but Employees Only has started this tradition that actually I, as a young man, while while I was going um, to college and university in Belgrade, I would, over the summer, go to Greece and bartend on the islands. And, uh, you know, that was the way to kind of spend spend your summer mm. vacation, summer holiday and make some money and, you know, sleep with a lot of girls. So uh, <laughs> so that's what I did. And, you know, I, I noticed that when you go home at like six, seven in the morning, they have these little taverns that open up and they serve this soup that is like a nice, clear, usually chicken or vegetable broth with you know, like a pastry shell filled with either minced meat or vegetables. And you eat, drink that soup and eat that thing and then it's just warm and fuzzy in your belly and you go straight to bed and no matter how much you had to drink or no matter, you know, what else you did, you know, it just puts you to sleep. And um, I'm like, this would be cool if we can offer a cup of chicken soup at last call for everybody who survived. And because, you know, it's not hospitable to tell people they have to go. But if they get a hot cup of chicken soup a little spicy and greasy at at four in the morning Mm. you know and they just have that the next thing they want to do is just go home this week, <laughs> <laughs> so we don't have to tell them thank you, please. Now, leave in, like we would love you to come back, but for you to come back first, you have to go, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like you know, that whole conversation is now unnecessary, and uh, I like that, you know. And it has become kind of a tradition, and everybody loves our chicken soup, and people wait for it, and you cannot get it before last call, so <laughs> that's it. Well, that's great
1: news for Sydney's scene really, like the offering for late night dining in Sydney's pretty limited so yeah. I think that um, you'll have you'll have plenty of takers uh, through to three um, and in terms of the um, I guess staffing, I just want to touch mm-hmm. on that a little bit Like um, how have you found getting a team together um, one of the things, and Luke you might want to chip in here but you know, there's uh, T- talents a hot commodity, and mm-hmm. um, getting it uh, as you've talked about is key. So, how's that been for you in the in the weeks or the months leading up to this? All your team?
2: Yeah. Well, I always knew that Australian bartenders are amazing. You know, like some of the world's best. You know, mm-hmm. Sammy Ross. I mean, you know, my friends. You know, yeah. a lot of great Australian bartenders that I am friends with that I met throughout, throughout my career. And indeed, it was fairly easy for us to. Um, really get a really professional and really dedicated and efficient bar team. Mm. Servers, however, proved to be quite a challenge. And I never seen that anywhere else. I mean, our servers are super sweet and they're super talented and really, really great. But it took us almost two months to find the right team because and they're all from somewhere else <laughs> you know there's no Australians actually they're all like students from somewhere else you know kind of a united nation mm. Of, mm. of people um, and it's interesting right you have Europeans you have South Americans you have Central Americans you have all kinds of people Americans you know Canadians interesting right and, and so they um, we've been working with them for a while now and it's it's looking like they're going to be actually the 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 highlight they're so sweet they're so enthusiastic they're young they believe in this Mm. i spent a great deal of time talking to them about the issues we talked a little bit before prepping them for what's to come you know because burnout is a real thing Mm. and if you allow yourself to take things personally in this industry you will burn out you'll burn out and my job is to remind them that people never see you they see their idea of you. So, why are you worried?
0: It's, um, <laughs> back to the people, I mean, on the people topic and back to what you were speaking about before with regards to encouraging or educating people on how to think about the business. Yeah. It takes a certain type of person to be able to be influenced yeah. by that kind of Correct. thought process. Yes. Is there a way that you've figured out to identify the people that are going to be open to receiving that information yeah. and responding yes. and those that aren't? Like, how, how do you
2: actually do Yeah, that? Well, you've got to sit with them. You've got to ask them questions. You mm. know, how was your childhood? What's your hobbies? What's your IQ? Do you know what your, your IQ is? You know, uh, like mm. you, know, your <laughs> you know, stuff like that. You yeah. know, what's your favorite album? You know, stuff like that. You know, I want to know what pushes their buttons. Um... You can't always have the same type of personality. It doesn't create a good team. Mm. You need all kinds of personalities, but they all have to have one thing in common. They have to believe and trust you. See, no restaurant ever fails because of the staff. It always fails because of the leadership. Mm. And uh, owners owners who have not come up through the industry are oblivious to that.
0: Mm.
2: Totally because they cannot really empathize with any, any of the uh, challenges that the staff is going through, the chef is going through the kitchen, the dishwasher, the floor of the house staff, the hostess, you know, the bartenders. You've got to know. And to know, you have to have been doing it. That's why this industry really is, you know, you've got to make a choice. You're either going to make a lot of money by putting formulaic e things out there and, you know, making money in a couple of years and then run, or you're going to have a marathon. But I, only, I don't look for monetary satisfaction, and, and only I look, I look into how do I feel about myself when I go home at, at the end of the day. And when I go home, usually, I have a really good feeling. I'm like, I know I've done the best I could. Mm. It took me years to get here. It's not something I, I was born with. <laughs> I paid a high price. And because I did, I want to give it away as soon as I can to anybody who's willing to take it. Because only then I can get more. And I teach them that. You, gotta, you, can't, hold, you can't hold to anything, you got to give away. The best way to learn something is try to teach it to somebody else.
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a challenging thing to teach typically young people, especially yes. in the Australian market. And, and I think the whole Hiring people with different mentalities, mm-hmm. different... Traditionally, in even hospitality and more corporate environments, mm-hmm. the focus has been around cultural alignment, mm-hmm. so getting people together who fit a certain bill because Correct. they will fit in. Yes. The movement now is towards... Um, and you end up with group thought. You end up with a group of people that all think the same way, so there's a lack yeah. of yeah. evolution, Correct. creativity. Yes. The movement is now towards It's the corporate middle
2: management mentality where everybody's afraid to make a mistake and take responsibility and so creativity is killed. Correct. And I don't believe in that. I think it's stupid. I think it's it's yet another way for consumer capitalism to sell, you know, sell you the vacuum cleaner, which, you know, I, I don't want to buy your vacuum cleaner. I know it's not there. I know, I like, my my staff is diverse; <laughs> always has been. I, stri- I I thrive on on that energy, bringing different types of people and cultures together and creating something completely new. The only thing they have to have in common is to trust me and believe me, to mm. believe in the same thing that I believe in, and then everything else falls in line.
1: Do you tell them that? I mean, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And how do they go with that? Because
2: nobody talks to you like that. No yeah. other, no other restaurant tour will ever talk to you like that. They will give you a printout, a manual, and have you studied and sign, sign it, confirming that you have understood, mm-hmm. you know, your job uh, description and what's expected from you. I told them the first thing on the orientation I said, if I catch you being apprehensive to make a mistake, we'll have a talk. How will you learn if you don't make mistakes? Here, you're safe to make mistakes. So stop worrying about that start thinking about remembering how you can come to work with a smile on your face and what that entails for you because when you come to work wearing a smile on your face and you're enthusiastic for what's to come in this this next seven six seven eight hours no matter Mm -hmm. it will be you'll be radiating quite differently you know and that's what I want I want it to be you you do you you know I can't put a human being in a box. It's dishonorable, man. You know? I would not do it for a mountain of caramel chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) There's a freedom
0: about that, I think, that the right people enjoy. You know, there's certain people within every sector take hospitality, restaurants, bars, um, banking, that Mm -hmm. really need... The mm. box, you know, yeah. they need the job description that says this is what you where you start, this is what you where you stop, this is your limit of authority, mm-hmm. and don't um,
2: step outside that box. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but, but at the same time, there's uh, what you're describing is
1: uh, like a lot of corporates would be saying that's what we're aspiring to, you know, yeah. diversity, inclusion, yeah. and uh, yeah. it is easy to talk about, very hard to deliver. Yes. I think, um, and yeah. in my business, I've you, you know, I. Um, I find this like we we I think we've managed to achieve a diversity over a period of time and uh, and um, I, I always say to people like it's hard work you know this is yeah. this is hard and it's, yeah. it's, it can't be up to me it's got to be up to us yeah to, see,
2: to do see um, again you know the fish rots from the head down right mm. if 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 something's wrong it's usually the leadership that is dropping the ball on one on one or more issues mm. yeah but it's
1: always the staff that are blamed
0: like this is correct
2: the, and you know because. It's hard to, to take responsibility. It's hard to open yourself to, to learn new things and change. Because it requires, you have to pay price. It's not monetary price, it's price in illusions. You're gonna drop the narrative you tell yourself that defines yourself. And in a corporate setting, everything is a narrative. And that narrative is then adopted and people identified with that narrative and they become the corporation. And I, don't, I refuse to be ruled by a construct. I'm a human being I'm free at least that's what the constitution says (laughs) (laughs) so let me be free and I have to pay a price and the price is I don't have as much time I lost my family because of this, you know, I had to be there for everybody and I in, tried to include my family into it and I, I had to pay a price, you know, I, was, I got divorced and you know, I don't see my kids as often, you know, and then, then on the other side, you know, I never made as much money as somebody else might have if they have done things differently mm-hmm. with the brand that, they, you know, that we have and the, and the integrity that we have, but I'm happy. I don't owe anybody anything. I've always done the best I could, and I, my, and with the proof that I am doing it right is that I have almost zero staff turnover in all of my restaurants. People just don't leave because they find a safe space there for them. And we, if you know, somebody goes on a maternity leave and has a baby, we'll even if they take a year and a half, we'll take them back. You know, if somebody needs. A paternity leave, we give them three months. Or, you know, we, we have a fund. We all contribute in for emergency if somebody gets injured or cut or whatever. You know, like we pay for their medical bills. We, we like we take care of our staff, you know, because we, we know that they are the ones that make it all happen. I mean, I could have never left New York and leave it running if I didn't build that culture to Mm. begin with but it took years that's why we expanded only after 10 years of being open because it took a while for us to set that foundation and then it happened pretty rapidly
0: yeah yeah but this I mean for you talking prior to coming on here this extends well beyond hospitality if you does it I mean this this mindset you're talking about some of the your involvement in other groups, yes, for would you want to talk through um, oh yeah, stuff
2: i do I something. do a lot of you know, I mean, besides playing music in my spare time whenever I can, um with some old. Old people like myself <laughs> still believe in loud guitars and drums. Um, we, um, I work with with men. Uh, I actually uh, we're, lead a support group for for men in Los Angeles, uh, for men who are going through the divorce process, or about to get divorced, or thinking about getting divorced, and because uh, it's a very stressful time for them and their families. And we provide that, you know, we provide resources, help. Uh, um, Encouragement and mm. all, of, all of that good, good stuff. Yeah, um, it, it means a lot to me that yeah, not that I have a guru complex or a savior complex or anything like that. I just want to be able to help because I understand that it's not given to to a lot of people to the ability to the ability to help, the ability to be heard, to ability to change somebody's life is a privilege, and um, if I can facilitate even a little bit of that then I, have, I think I've done really good, you mm. know? I don't care if I don't have a boat or a condo or a fucking Ferrari, who gives a fuck?
1: you got a pretty nice guitar, though.
2: I have a really nice, I have many nice guitars. What do you play? You mentioned you got one here in Sydney, what have you got? I just got one in Sydney, it was a gift from my partner here, it was beautiful, it's a limited edition, Gretsch, broadcaster, white, because, you know, I wear all black, so mm. I always play White guitar
1: somehow works.
2: <laughs> it's the European metrosexual in me. <laughs> so yeah, I have a Les Paul 1979 custom that was gifted to me by my body team when I was moving to LA, which was an extremely expensive guitar. Yeah, I have many, many cool, like cool guitars in the amps. There, I'm that's what i that's what i really like my passion is 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 in rock and roll and um and obviously human beings human beings i i am grateful for every human i meet uh because there's always an opportunity to learn something mm. and it's great
1: yeah it's uh um, we as you know last episode we had on i guess um i don't want to be stereotypical people here, but we had a couple of people, you know, similar sort of stature and um, experience, and it's. there's uh, I think it's interesting thing you observe there. There's a a point at which uh, you've had enough life experience, I suppose. Firstly, yeah. um, and and then. And also a desire to return, yeah. return something, and that's mm-hmm. sort of pretty, pretty evident. Sat here with you, I hope uh, listeners can kind of get a sense of you as you're talking. Um, and, yeah. and in amongst, um, uh, of, sorry, what we're feeling here anyway. Like what, in, in amongst it, um, just coming into the the Sydney scene, I, I imagine you know quite a few people. How's the reception been in the trade? Uh,
2: are you oh, being welcomed? Yeah. Or very, so humbling. I mean. I mean I'm really humbled by the reception here and everybody like has made an effort to come out and say hi and, and give us their best wishes and everywhere I went I mean it was just I was treated so well and with such grace and, and you know I, I'm very humble you know I, I, it humbles me to be receiving that what I strive to give to others and it's coming back and it's mm-hmm. beautiful you know it's really what more proof do you need? Mm. You know, it's not in the money. It's not in the money. <laughs> <laughs> it's not there. Money is a consequence of things done right. Yeah. Money. If you want to make money, stop worrying about it. Mm. It's a consequence of things done right. You can't. Don't listen to the bankers, please. <laughs> they don't know. It's not there.
1: Especially when they call <laughs> asking <laughs> uh, asking you for, to pay back your loans. Don't worry about that at that stage. Yeah. But <laughs>
0: um, well, I mean, it's. Like, it's no, I'm probably not going to quote the adage correctly, but you get back what you put out yeah absolutely yeah. um and I think seldom pe- too few people um, yeah. actually clock that you know but yeah. it sounds like you've obviously tried to practice that as much as you can as you possibly i can. think
2: I think this you know I think really what's important the message is the message to a great to a great professional in any in any in any line of business I think is the ability to accept yourself just as you are with everything that constitutes you your, your dark side, your shadows as well they're mm-hmm. also part of you the moment you accept yourself everybody else will everybody else will be comfortable around you when you accept yourself and what's the proof that you have accepted yourself? You don't need the validation from anybody else anymore
0: Was there something in your life that <laughs> made you click where you just yeah. you just went okay yeah this makes sense or this is how i think now was, yeah was there a caveat? yeah
2: yeah 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 it it happened gradually gradually uh-huh. uh you know i've done a lot of studying you know i studied with all kinds of People who I thought might have an answer, because obviously consumer capitalism failed to give me the answers I needed. Mm. You know, because I already got the iPhone and I got everything. <laughs> I already got everything. They told me I should have, and I'm still like Dushan, You know, like what? Come on, this is, you're lying. <laughs> Something fishy here. You know, I'm not the most intelligent person, but I can. You know, you, you, you know, you can't like pull me, pull me around for too long until I notice something's not, not, not jiving right here. right so (laughs) i was fortunate to meet um a few very um powerful men and women in my life that had with them that ability to be super comfortable with who they are Mm. one of them is my partner igor for example you know he's a man who is completely comfortable and accepts himself exactly as he is and everybody loves igor you know? and and he's a great reminder, and he's a great bartender too. You know, but he always, and first and foremost, always uh, led by this feeling of being comfortable, not needing anything. He doesn't need you to tell him that he's looking good and he's done a good job or anything. He he knows it already. He doesn't hold himself to you know to, to standards that that others put on him. Mm. You know. So he lives a life of integrity and honor, you know, and 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 it kind of comes back right away, you know, and and so I met people like that. I also studied a lot with all kinds of different religious uh, uh, groups, and 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 you know, I spent time in monasteries. I went to Mount Athos in Greece. I spent three months in a Orthodox monastery. I wanted to know what happens to you if you, you know, renounce stuff. Yeah, renounce the world and kind of turn inwards. And I saw it's not for me. You know, it's not there for me. You know, it's good. It's very helpful. But I thought, I my, I realized that my life is kind of a laboratory for my evolution. It's where I need to practice, and it's in in life. Not you know, the, the challenges I have are precisely there because the homework's there because I need to learn the homework. And if I try to run away from it into a monastery, the homework will be around the next time I I come around. (laughs) So Mm. I better deal with the homework now. Mm. Uh, That's how I saw it for me. That was the takeaway, right? So um, yeah, it, it happened gradually it You know it didn't happen overnight, I don't think anything of substance really that changes you yeah. happens overnight unless it's a really shocking, painful experience.
0: was it a, just a simple curiosity that led you down that path initially to actually go looking for more or was it
2: It started slowly as a kind of a discomfort yeah uh, you know, and you feel something's not right mm. you know you, you you know then the confusion mm. and then it grew into this persistent drive to find, find answers. And, and cause you know, I, I cannot teach bartenders how to be kind and how to be their better selves if I haven't, well at one point be, you know. I was an arrogant bartender, I was young. I thought I knew it all, you know. I thought my I won competitions, you know. I was the second best bartender in the world in 2002. You know, I I, can, I I was an arrogant prick too. So that's that, that's a part of the process. Mm. But you can't stay there, because who is who is the who? Why are you arrogant? Because you're all in your ego. you and you're arrogant because you're you're trying to protect yourself. You're not vulnerable, and your power lies in your vulnerability, not in your defenses, right? And and so it took me a while. You know, But I had to first experience it and then see it's not there and be dissatisfied with how I was. So I always teach my staff to always watch inwardly to see, is this what's happening right now to me, an energy-increasing process or an energy-decreasing process? You know, is your gut gut feeling saying uh-huh or uh-uh? And when you're attuned to that, then you can be attuned to anybody else. So... Just listening to you,
1: and we've kind of dove in and out of this as we've done the interview, but I think in the Australian market, at least, and you might have a better perspective globally, there's mental health mm-hmm. servicing in hospitality, definitely, mm. Like, um, but in, in other industries at the same time. But hospitality in particular has been a, you know, sort of a, a real acceleration in... Uh, public recognition or industry recognition mm-hmm. of things like um, you're talking about a team that you've been able to build for a period of time and have, have a high staff retention rate which mm-hmm. would typically be an indicator of being able to manage people and their in every aspect mm-hmm. over a period of time Like, uh, do, you, do you think that there's uh, um, it, some of the things that you're talking about here are uh, should be absorbed more widely across the industry and would be a remedy or would improve what we're calling mental health Mm -hmm. issues in the industry at the moment?
2: Yeah, I mean, we have, you know, this industry's challenge, obviously, with with substance abuse, right? Uh, It's very easy to um, convince yourself that if you numb the pain through substance it's a way it's a way out Mm -hmm. of the pain pain's there because there is an issue right what's that issue right Uh, obviously uh, it's caused by something and it's painful to look into it to begin with it's uncomfortable it's like going into a cold dark hole You know, mm. if you want to go in there, you know it. You you know once you turn towards that hole, uh, you know what's there. I don't want to go there. I know. Uh, it's, uh, but if you don't go in there, what's nothing's gonna change. Nothing's gonna change. You know, we can't. We can't keep thinking that we can. Do the same things over and over again and our lives will magically somehow be different. You'll win the lotto or the lottery or you know, like meet meet the crown princess or whatever. Yeah. You know, like, come on. I mean, you know, come on. I mean, we're all smart people, we all know logic. You know, men specifically have this very linear mind. So it should be at least for men, it should be a little bit more easier to understand cause and effect, right? Women are a little bit more three-dimensional and analytical, which is a great privilege, which men could learn great deal from right um, but in their ways of thinking and perceiving the world but you know come on I mean if you want your life to be different you gotta change your today not your tomorrow your today you do things today differently then your tomorrow might change but if you do things the same way today as you did them yesterday and your today is the same way as yesterday then your tomorrow will be exactly the same as today so come on <laughs> yeah, you, gotta a sticker bracket. you know you gotta take responsibility I yeah, I mean if you don't take responsibility, and the way you manage your staff, you, you know, you're talking about managing your staff, the, you can't manage your staff by telling them what they're doing wrong. You know, that's the biggest downfall of the corporate thought, You know, issuing warnings and you know, like stuff like that. <laughs> you teach them how it's done right. It's very simple, actually. Mm. Yeah. Treat others as you would like to be treated. Somebody else said that. Before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, we've got to stand away we like to wrong mm-hmm. wrap up the podcast. So with a few quick fire questions sure. and um you do sound like a man who <laughs> reads, listens, yeah. roams the earth, uh, <laughs> caves, monasteries, islands. We've covered it all this evening. But uh, is there is there a favorite book you've recently read or potentially a podcast that you listen to that you'd like to share that you think we could get something out of? Uh, it's
2: two books. Uh, uh, Reality of Being by, by Madame de Salzman, which is mo- mostly a book that I Kind of always keep in my Kindle as a reference, kind of a daily basis. Uh, it's just a very really good way for me to remember uh, where I'm going, and as far as kind of. Deeper stuff. I mean, not deeper, but on the other side of entertainment, books. uh, I I read a lot of science fiction. It's it's kind of. Uh. Some people eat fast food or watch like reality shows. I read (laughs) science fiction, space operas. (laughs) And the interesting thing is, I don't even remember the names of the books or the series or the authors. I just, I just, it's it's a way for me to shut off, you know, Mm. to to put my own personality on the back burner and just put my imagination out there. And, and But one of the books that actually left a huge mark on me lately again, I reread it actually after a while, is Balthazar and Blimunda by José Samarago, the late Nobel Prize winner. I think actually he won the Nobel Prize for that book. It's a love story. And... Um, as 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 kind of hard rock as I am and heavy metal as I am in my art in my art in general I I am still a romantic uh, very much so and it is a beautiful love story that touched me deeply so I, I that's one of the great books yeah Are you um, do you get the chance to read yeah every, yeah every night every yeah right yeah, every night yeah
1: and uh, <laughs> as a musician of some yeah. experience a uh, favorite album or artist right now
2: my favorite album of all times is operation Mindcrime crime by queensrike and it will be my favorite album forever uh it's just a piece of work that is i can't i i mean every time i listen to it i discover it and then it's—it's it's a conceptual album not many people are familiar with queen it's a rock hard rock band heavy metal band from seattle they've been really big in the late 80s early 90s mm. and that album is uh they, they kind of referred to it as the Um, kind of heavy version of Pink Floyd's kind of
0: you
2: know understanding of reality they are pretty rebellious um and you know and that album is, is one of my favorites I mean my definitely my favorites yeah for sure have you seen any gigs in Sydney since you've been only at Frankie's which I love okay <laughs> <laughs> alright Frankie's everybody I, you'll find me there pretty much on Sundays and Mondays playing pinball because I you know when I was growing up the video games just started yeah and before I became kind of of kind of masculinity age, <laughs> you know. I, I played pinball because you know there was only Space Invaders and Pac-Man, you know, yeah. before that. And so then when the consoles came out, the Ataris and the Spectrums and all that, I was already playing with girls. So i never <laughs> ever played video games ever since. But pinball, I kick ass. So if anybody wants to challenge me to I'm a pinball, take, out for a I'm, sure. I'm, you know, I'm game for that. Well, <laughs> well, I look forward to report back on who yeah. was the
1: victor. Uh, favorite drink right now and i think we could
2: uh oh my god depends what time of day <laughs> yeah yeah do you, do you have
1: maybe that's a good way let's uh-huh. let's approach it that way what's uh-huh. your drink o'clock approach yeah drink
2: o'clock know? is yeah. it's like this. i don't drink in the morning i just really don't want a drink in the morning i never had for lunch i'll either have uh a, a white wine um a rosé or a champagne yeah. It's just, I don't know, that's kind of... And that only if I have a sit-down lunch. If I'm grabbing something to go, then I'll usually don't drink until maybe four or five or six. Then I start usually with a beer and uh, while I'm getting ready. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm at the restaurant or the venue, I'll probably have... Um, I'm a martini guy. I like dry gin martinis with an olive, Uh, not too dry, 3 to 1. And I like my lemon oils expressed, but not the twist in the drink. And that's how I drink. And then, you know, wine with dinner. And then after that is whatever. I feel like. <laughs> also depends what drugs they have.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have like a, in that hmm. evening period? And this is like now just indulging someone with great experience. <laughs> yeah. like, I've got all these rationalisations I make about if I do this, I can't do this. Like, do you have a? Is there a science to like surviving the night?
2: Water. Um, yeah. People ask me what's the best kind of uh, hangover cure. And I say, it "Was don't drink. Don't drink. <laughs> you want to lose weight? Don't eat. Yeah. Just put yeah. the fork down. Yes. Yeah. Come on. You got to own it, man. i keep, keep saying this. You got to own it, man. <laughs> we heard about a
1: bottle the spoon last episode, so maybe that's something in it for, yeah. for <laughs> so. um, All right. This is uh, let, let's let's do this one this way. So, um, with your Globetrotting experience. Your mm-hmm. favorite venue of all time?
2: Everywhere where I feel comfortable, and it can be a taco, you know, taco stand, or you know, a, a taco truck in LA, or it could be um, could be a, know, a Providence, like a Michelin star restaurant. Everywhere where I feel that the hospitality and is is at the level that I would do it. And everywhere where I want to return at the moment when I'm actually going for the doorknob to leave, I'm already thinking when I can come back. That's my favorite venue, and there's many of them around the world.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, is, there, is, there, is, there, is there places on your radar in Sydney at the moment that you're sort of thinking... Because I imagine you're here for a few for, <sighs>
2: for
1: a few weeks. I know, that, I know that you're pretty busy
2: opening your own business. Yeah, it? I haven't been around to many places. I really like... Um, what's the place across the street from 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 barbershop uh, on the on the top top floor? Old mates. Old mates. I yeah. like it there. Yeah. I, I also like bar- like barbershop is one of my favorite places anyway. Yeah. But I think old mates is, is, has, has that has that thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I felt good there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's uh, that's a recent addition to the scene, and yeah. I think uh, I was picking the brains of our food and drink editor earlier this afternoon, and yeah. it, it's uh, it's been. Um, you know uh, the circumstances in Sydney have sort of restricted people's ambitions yeah. open venues a little yeah. bit so we're very sort of excited by the opening of Old Mates mm-hmm. um, because if nothing else it exp- yeah. shows an intent
2: in the intent to yeah. fight the well you change the city shall we say so yeah. another place I really really like here and it's probably my favorite place in Sydney is Max, Max Gracos, Vasco right? Because we I see the family resemblance completely. We look the same. We we listen to the same music. We, you know, he works behind the bar just like I do. You know, it's just, it's just a brother. Yeah, and and it's just yeah, family. I, I feel that. And they have a smoking in a uh, lounge in the back yeah, 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 yeah. So you know. <laughs> I'm a civilized. I still smoke.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> so, so far we've got pinball uh, face-off, plus guest bartending shift at Vasco. <laughs> um, and this one to round us all out is, uh, who in the industry are you most inspired by?
2: Um, many, many, many people do this really right. Um, obviously, uh, my, my direct teacher is Dale DeGraff, right? I. I um, I owe a lot a great deal to Dale. I'm inspired by Audrey Sanders by late Sasha Petrosky, who are close friends of mine. Uh Audrey certainly, um, certainly one of the biggest influences, not just te- technically, you know, that's something that, you know, everybody has their own style. You know, every guitar player sounds differently, every bartender will taste differently. If you if you don't understand that, then you have no then you can't really practice this to the highest possible extent, you know? Like, it, it's never... <laughs> Drink-making is not the recipe, it's not the correct measurement, it's not the correct dilution, it's not the correct temperature. Otherwise, machines would that mm-hmm. would do our job much better than us. Mm. It's not in the jiggers or free-pouring, it's on how you do it. Where are you when you make your drink? And and that's something that I learned from Audrey. And, 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 and it's... Um, very grateful. Um, Danny Meyer. Um, chefs, I, I have a lot of inspiration by great chefs. I think being a chef is, is super hard. You're on sharp objects in heat, under fluorescent lighting, <laughs> under <laughs> <laughs> tremendous pressure. It yeah. takes a great deal of uh, psychological, emotional, and physical stamina to be able to come unscathed to the other end and you see like on the example of the late Anthony Burdain and it's not that easy mm. it, it, you, you know it's being in this industry is very hard so people who survive then of course my partner is a great inspiration Henry Lafargue uh, my partners Igor and Jay and Billy for sure um, my partner here um, that I shall say stay unnamed um, but certainly a big inspiration genius in many ways um, so stuff like that. Mm. people like that, many many people
1: yeah and uh, Danny Meyer's been mentioned a few times so we'll link him in the show notes Um, Luke?
0: Well, I think uh, it's a good place to end. I think after mm-hmm. listening to this, many people will answer. Uh, the answer to that question would be that you would be a fantastic inspiration based off uh, what you said today. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for your time. Thank it's you. been amazing listening to you. And I think our listeners will uh, say the same thing, for sure. Thank you. for the Good hospi- luck with the
2: opening. Thank you. Thank you so much for your hospitality and for this good wishes. And I can only strive to be able to be of service to you guys. So thank you. Thanks very much, Jujan. Okay. Thanks. Thank you.
1: Uh,
0: So, Michael, that um, what a chat. How good was that?
1: It was pretty mesmerising, I must say.
0: Mm. Uh, what, mate, what did you take away from it? I mean, there's probably a million things that you could walk away with, but uh, any real highlights for you? Yeah, I think that...
1: Hospitality is such a personal service, ultimately, and um, how how you can take something and expand it and make it consistent. You know, there's players in the market here that, I think, do a good job across multiple venues, but to do it under the one identity of one brand and to see how he thinks or uh, trains, particularly trains staff around that certain ethos, I thought was... um, A lot to be learned from whether it translates in practice of course is going to be another thing but it's good that someone is thinking about it in the way that Deshaun is and hopefully uh, you know um, they can replicate what they've been able to do elsewhere.
0: Yeah I've had many many conversations with many different people about what hospitality is Um, I've never heard it defined that way you know that approach to creating a safe space to um, you know, understanding that, you know, I think he said everybody has a broken heart. You know, understanding that every person that walks into your bar is, is, is needing something. Um, I think people kind of get that at a superficial level. They've probably never defined it and understood it the way that he has been able to communicate it. Um, I, I feel I learned a whole lot more about an industry that I've been working in for 20 years in the last hour. Yeah, there was a lot there, and I hope our listeners similarly enjoy it. Yeah. And now, who have we uh, got coming up? Yeah, so Mark Jensen, who
1: I guess uh, may not uh, be as well known as perhaps the brand Red Lantern, which is, of course, an institution in Sydney Mm. and uh, um, has been, I guess, largely fronted by one of our most successful Australian exports as a chef, Luke Nguyen. So... um, Mark's uh, been getting a bit vocal about uh, delivery services, which is a subject close to
0: my heart, so I'm pretty keen to get him on to see what his beef is. Find the pun close to your heart in that you utilise their services every Sunday when you're a little bit dusty.
1: No, I mean, I, like I think that there's, uh, well, you know, in my nighttime hat on, uh, anything that keeps people in the house, uh, yep. I'm questioning these yep. days. I, I, I believe uh, we need to get people out and about enjoying the city. And so delivery services, I think, make things easy for people to sit at home alongside you know, Netflix and have a pretty great night in. And too much of that is, uh, is in my mind, um, not the best for our civic landscape. But the other aspect of it is that uh, the pricing models that... Uh, the delivery service of using, um, uh, you know, I think I've talked about for a number of years is do need to be looked at um, yeah. because of the returned value to the restaurant. So, yeah, Mark's, um, I think, you know, he's been pretty active through his channels and quite keen to get a restauranteur's, an established restauranteur's um,
0: perspective on that. Yeah, it should be interesting.